Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well today. It is Sunday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to make a few quick announcements. Well, today is a special day. This is my 100th episode. I started this podcast two years ago with a microphone and a vision to build a world with better bosses. And since then, I've had more than 80 guests and I've learned a lot about business and leadership. And I hope you have as well. This podcast is now ranked by Listen Score as one of the top 5% shows out of more than 2.7 million podcasts globally. It's crazy to think how far we've come, so thank you very much for being a part of it, and I'm looking forward to the next 100 episodes as well. Now, I mentioned last week that I have a really special guest coming up on the podcast at the end of the month. His name is Ken Blanchard. You probably know who he is, but if you don't know this, he is a legend in the leadership space. He is a co-author of more than 65 books, including the iconic The One Minute Manager, with a combined sales of over 23 million copies. He was inducted in Amazon's Hall of Fame as one of the top 25 best-selling authors of all time. He'll be coming up on the show on the week of January 30th, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss this special episode. Now, if you're looking to support what I do on the show, you can purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com or visit my sponsors, bottomguncoffee.com and ihavethewatch.com. Both my sponsors use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is John Van Dusen. John is a combat veteran who led troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. He is now a successful teacher and football coach. He is the author of a new book called Lesson One, Leveraging Leadership in Everyday Life. John shares his lessons on things that he learned over the past 20 years in the military and how he's using those lessons to lead students, athletes, and his family. If you ever wondered how to apply leadership lessons to everyday life, this is your episode. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by John Van Dusen. John is a teacher, a football coach, and a soldier. He served for 20 years in the Michigan Army National Guard with combat deployments to Iraq as a platoon leader and Afghanistan as a company commander. He is the author of a new book called Lesson One, Leveraging Leadership in Everyday Life. In this book, John shares his experiences from the classroom, the locker room, and the battlefield and shapes them into lessons, leadership lessons that you can use in every part of your life. So I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about these lessons. So John, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, congratulations on the book. This is exciting. I mean, uh, really good book. I really appreciate it. I've been through it, read it. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for you to tell your story. Maybe you can just introduce uh, to the, the world here um, tell us about yourself and how you ended up becoming, you know, going down this path of becoming a teacher 
a coach and a soldier. Sure. So I, uh, you know, I grew up as a Navy brat, which I, I talk about in the book. And we ended up back in my dad's hometown of Kingsford, Michigan, um, after he had retired from the Navy and we moved back here. Uh, so I got to graduate from Kingsford and my senior year, the teacher aspect, my senior year, I did a independent study with, he was my forensics coach and he taught first grade. So I basically, it was just a way for me to get out of school, right? Cause it was linked up with my lunch and my study hall. So I was out of school for like three hours during the middle of the day. And working with those first graders was just amazing because of the growth that they had. You know, when I went in the first couple of days, they didn't know their name, didn't know how to spell anything, didn't, you know, some didn't know their colors. And then by the end of six weeks, you know, they're reading, they're writing, and it was just amazing to see that. And I just love being a part of that process. Uh, so that's kind of the teacher aspect of it. And then the coaching aspect of, of it comes, again, from Kingsford. And my head football coach, who just retired a few years ago, took one year off, and now he's back as an assistant. Uh, and he's in the book, too, Chris Hofer. But he really instilled a love of not just football, but like the the process of becoming a football player and the process of becoming a team and that work ethic and that team mentality. And that was just incredible to me. So when I was student teaching, I had a meeting with the middle school principal the first day. And she said, are you interested in doing anything else within the district? And I said, well, you know, I, I really like football and I would like if I could get involved. And she picked up the phone. I didn't realize this at the time, but her husband was the athletic director. Wow. <laughs> So she picks up the phone and says, Hey, I got, I got your coach. Yep. I'll send them right over. And she goes, Hey, you got the eighth grade football team. You have practice today at three 30. You got to go see the athletic director to get your stuff. Um, that's kind of how it started <laughs> and, and, you know, feet to the fire. And I was, I was blessed to have a coach. Uh, I was on paper, the eighth grade head coach, but really they had a seventh grade and an eighth grade team. And the seventh grade coach was, was pretty experienced and took me under his wing. Uh, he was the head coach for all of it, but on paper, again, like I said, they had to have somebody different. And then the soldier aspect of it uh, really comes down to, I had known I wanted to join the military from a very young age, uh, being on naval bases and very specifically uh, watching the the pilots. I wanted to be Tom Cruise. I wanted to be mad. <laughs> and uh, my mom always used to tease about the brown shoes because they naval aviators yeah. have brown shoes. He was yes. very excited about that. So I went into the Navy recruiter and he looked at my uh, SAT or ACT, whatever the score was. And he says, well, you did great on science and math. You got to do a little better in English. So when you retake it, come back and see me. I'm a 17 year old kid. I'm not retaking this test. You know? <laughs> uh, so I went and talked to the army recruiter and, and he had me absolutely sold. He said, I had the grades and whatnot to be a ranger and airborne air assault, all these things. I didn't know anything, but you know, he was talking my language, being out in the woods and, and doing cool things. And then uh, that night, actually, the National Guard recruiter called me and I wasn't completely sold until I went and talked to him. And now I can do this army thing, but I can also do college at the same time. And I went and talked to the active duty army again, keeping all my options open and the National Guard just provided a much better path for what I wanted to do, which was to be a teacher and and serve in the military at the same time. So that's 
kind of the three different paths all converged into one. Okay. Interesting. And, you know, and you're, um, you talk about in the book, your dad was a submariner, which, which, uh, I like <laughs> not, there's not yeah, too many submariners out there, but, uh, and he was, you know, he spent, he spent a career in the military. He was a command, uh, uh, command master chief when he got out of the Navy. So how much did his, um, him being in the military, maybe him being gone and coming back and you hearing the stories, uh, how much did that affect or impact what your thoughts of what leadership was or could look like? You know, when I, when I was, very young, he was on submarines and it was in the mid eighties. So it was the height of the cold war. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really, I didn't know this until much later, but my mom was, was brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. She had me in 4-H and swimming lessons and all these things when my dad was gone. And then when he came back, all those things kind of ended because we had family time. And I didn't, I didn't understand that at the time. Um, but when I was very young, I was instilled with the, you know, the loose lips sink ships kind of thing. Yeah. Um, kind of the, I don't want to say the secrecy or the, like, you don't need to share your life on, you know, today it would be social media. Like you right. don't need to share right. your life. With it. Like don't be rude or don't be secretive or whatever, but you just don't need to share it. Um, but I think the real impact came when my dad was a command master chief on a surface ship and his captain was very much all about captain Frank Damasi. He was all about getting people out on the ship. He's, you know, this is the taxpayer ship. So I was able to go with my dad. Oh, wow. A couple different times on the ship, um, you know, for a week at a time, he would pull me out of school. I'd have all my homework. I'd sit in his office and work on it. But then I was roaming around the ship, you know, and I got wow. to hang out with the gunners made up in the five inch guns and go with the sonar tech and, and do stuff that was, you know, no other middle schooler was ever going to get the chance to do. Um, but the leadership part of that, I think, came from hanging out in the chief's mess, mm. right? And anybody who knows anything about the Navy knows chiefs really run the Navy. And that mm. was an incredible experience just because I saw all of those at the time. It was all men in that, in that chief's mess. But I got to see how they interacted, not just with my dad, who was in charge of all of them, which I, I don't think I really had a grasp on. But, but also the lower enlisted and how they were down there swinging wrenches with the guys and they were, you know, interacting with them and helping them. And then the, the other part of that was being with my mom when my dad was deployed is being the command master chief's wife. She just automatically kind of took charge when somebody needed to move or somebody needed help. We had a truck and she had a, a teenage boy who could, who could lift heavy things. So we were just, that's just what we did. So that kind of goes right into that servant leadership part, um, you know, from a very young age. And I, I like to think I carried that over to my army career. Fantastic. Now, that's great. I think people don't. Well, first of all, it's a unique experience to be, a, a, a you know, young, a young, you know, child and, you know, wandering a Navy ship and meeting these people and seeing this, you know, you know, firsthand. What an incredible experience. But I think what you talked about, too, with your mom you know, people don't realize what Navy spouses do, what military spouses do when, you know, when their husbands, de you know, deployed and they're, you know, keeping the house organized and, and, and continuing to raise their children and being, you know, in a leadership, you know, a, a leader's wife is, is then taking care of people like, like, you know, like her husband is on, on the, on the ship or on the boat. So, yeah, that's uh that's a that's a good that's a good example to uh, grow up with. That's for sure. 
Absolutely. And like I said, I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. You know, but I can look back and, and see like, wow, what a, what a great childhood that was. I know a lot of people, you know, they hear I changed schools eight times and I lived in all these different places and I never had a best friend for longer than two years, but I can't really think of a better way to grow up and get all those experiences. And just a quick side note, I think it was my second grade teacher had called home because she said, you know, your son has a very active imagination. He says he's been to Mount Rushmore. He says he's been to Niagara Falls and we're just concerned about all the lying. My mom was like, Oh no, he's, he's been there. We never took a vacation, but every time we had to travel the country or go to a new spot, we'd always try to stop and see, you know, whatever, whatever there was to see in that area. So I love it. He has an active imagination. Like, no, he's had an active life. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. So, um, you know, look, we, we're talking about the book and, and, and I'm really excited about this. Um, so when was, what was the genesis for the book? When did you know that you wanted to write down some of these lessons that you had learned through, you know, through your military career, your teaching, uh, and, you know, the coaching, when did you feel like you want to start writing stuff, stuff down and, 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 you know, think that this could be a book or this should be a book. So the writing actually happened long before the idea of even a book. And I got back from a deployment to Afghanistan as a company commander. And I was working full-time for the Michigan National Guard. And I would go to, we were doing a a disc commission defense in support of civilian authorities. So we're working with FEMA and we're working with fire departments. And every time we'd come back from these meetings, I just had a document on my desktop and I would write down just a little note about something that happened. I really like how he ran this meeting. I really did not like how this happened. And then it was a pandemic thing. You know, I'm sitting as a teacher, I'm sitting in my upstairs spare bedroom and (laughs) part days are synchronous. So I'm with the kids and part are asynchronous. One of those asynchronous days, I still need to be available. And uh, I had a friend, Kyle Anderson had written a book and another teacher friend of mine, Chris Woods had written one. And I was like, you know what? I got a bunch of this you know, just random rants on this document. So I opened it up and I had about 12 pages of just oh, little wow. and, and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of where it started, you know, me sitting in my upstairs bedroom, uh, helping kids on and off and just needing to be available, but basically just going crazy sitting by myself upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, a lot of people went crazy or <laughs> probably sure. still going crazy right now. My wife, my wife's a teacher. So I, I completely understand exactly what you're going yeah. through during that time. So, so um, let, let's talk about the title. Cause I think it's interesting. It's uh lesson one. So it's, it's lesson yeah. one uh, leadership in everyday life, but, but lesson one, why lesson one? So originally it, it was called 18 lessons in leadership and then 20 and then 21. And what happened was I was trying to, to figure out just on the, the table of contents, I was trying to figure out a logical order, yeah. right? So I, my army officer brain was putting them in this order. And then I was like, well, no, if you're a teacher, you're like, this one's going to be way more important. And I couldn't figure it out. And it was very frustrating. Um, and then I came up with the idea, like, well, they're all, they're all super important depending on what you're doing, even that day. And I, I talk about it in the beginning of the book is you might use these different lessons throughout the, throughout the day. And you can't say that one is more important than the other Right. on your situation. If you're in a, if you're in a staff meeting at work, you know, this lesson might be more important. If you're leading a meeting, a different one's going to be in charge, you know, or if you're just a spectator, if you're just a participant, a different one is going to be 
the most important. So that's where I was like, you know what, they're all going to be less than one. And uh, it actually worked out kind of good. So once I started kind of putting it in that mindset. I know when I first saw the book and I went through the table of contents, because I think you sent me an early copy and I was said, it's all less than one. Maybe there's a typo here, but then I, then I read through, I'm like, Oh, I get it. What he's doing here. <laughs> so, so right. yeah. So it's less than one. And these, you know, it's interesting because there's so many different aspects to leadership. And as you, as, as you correctly point out, there's different tools that you've got to pull out uh, at different times in your day of different interactions with, you know, are, what role are you playing at the time? Are you, are you playing, you know, in your, in this case too, are you a parent? Are you a coach? Are you playing the teacher role? Are you in a leadership role? Are you in a followership role that you, you know, all of us are in various roles throughout our day. And, you know, you talk about just being able to pull those things up and, and use them as you need them. They're tools in the tool toolkit, if you will. Exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah, Without a doubt. So um, I really like what you said about it said in the book, you say life is about relationships and experiences. Talk about that. What do you, what does that mean? So, so many things come out of this full-time job I had with the national guard. I'm so grateful for it. Um, but part of this job was traveling all over the country, uh, specifically Indiana, South Carolina. We did a, a small thing in New Mexico, but all these different places and we're meeting all these different people. And I have to, uh, I have to mention my friend, Ben, I think he's in the book, Ben Prohl. He was kind of my partner. He was the E seven logistics guy okay. uh, while I was the operations part of this whole thing. So we would go, you know, operations, logistics, we go, uh, sometimes we'd have a personnel person come with us for all these different training events and conferences and whatnot. And when you're, when you're on these little trips, there's two things you can do at night. You can either sit at, sit in your hotel room and watch free HBO, or you can go do things. And that's where, um, I really, you know, that's where you really build these relationships when you're standing in your uniform and yes, sir, no, sir, of course, Sergeant will do, you know, that's one thing, but when you can go out with people and have dinner and, uh, maybe have a couple of drinks or go experience something, that's when it really, that's when you really get to know people. And when you get to build those relationships, so that came with that. I can think of one time we were down in Florida and we went out on an airboat oh, um, nice. to see alligators, right? I mean, simple little things like that. Um, so that's where I kind of came up with the, with the phrase. Uh, I, I think it's mine. I don't think anybody else has said it, but life is about relationships and experiences because that's what we do is we, we build relationships with people and we go do things. So that's, that's kind of where that came from. And I, and I mentioned a couple instances in the book, um, but my mom really kind of got on that too. And as a birthday present one year, she got me a little clock with a plaque that says life's about relationships and experiences. Oh, I love that. I love that. Just try to live that out. You know, yeah. you can watch free HBO anywhere, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think the other thing too, is I always say too, is that when you have shared experiences with people, you, you, you build a bond. So you always have that memory that you did some, did that event or that you went to that place or you had that, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, when I'm in organizations where there's this us and them dynamic, when, you know, salary people hate the hourly people and the hourly people hate salary people or marketing hates engineering, whatever, is that there's not enough, what I typically find is they don't have any shared, enough shared experiences. Everybody's sort of in their own corner doing their own thing. And then what I've found is when you can find ways to, to give people common experiences, they do build those relationships. And then they, they see, oh, you know, 
John's not this that the person that we thought he was, or you know, Jim is completely that's not the person I, I I thought he was, or Susan's completely different. So you you get to know people, and it's and it's you you build those um, you know the shared experiences. You build a relationship through, just like you said. So it's really important, and I found that's been the case throughout my whole career. Well, and the other thing it does is, let's say you go out to that, you know, you go out to dinner, and and you know maybe it's a comedy hour or whatever. But when you go back to work the next day, yeah, right? like life is so much better because you kind of know each other as a person. And yes, I'm still going to call you, sir. And you're still going to call me, you know, captain or whatever, whatever it is. But that shared experience just makes the relationship that much stronger. Like you were saying with the, with the, you've built a bond around something other yeah. than we're here at work to do a job. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. So uh, let's talk about some of the lessons in the book. Um, one I love right away, you know, you're like, you got me on that one. It's called, what do you mean by flip the pyramid? Flip the pyramid. So it, not original to me, um, but basically I, when I was a company commander, I'd take my platoon leaders. And for those of you not familiar, one company commander, three, three platoon leaders and an XO who runs a platoon. So they technically work for me, right? So in a pyramid type organization, I'm sure the Navy is very, very similar to that. You have your section heads and whatnot. Um, but what I told them, as I said, technically you work for me. But the way we're going to make this work best is if I work for you. So whatever Mm -hmm. I can do, and if you think of that pyramid being flipped, so now I'm doing whatever I can to make my platoon leaders successful in whatever they need, whether it's, hey, sir, we need a training area, we need some equipment, whatever that is, whatever I can do to make them successful in turn is going to make me successful, right? Because I'm, I'm going to be judged based on the, what my company does or fails to do. So I really just take that that pyramid idea with the leader at the top and flip it over and say, Nope, the leader is at the bottom because where the rubber meets the road with those soldiers, you know, I got that E3 gunner. If, 
if something I can do at the bottom makes him successful, his team's going to be successful, his squad's going to be successful, the platoon's going to be successful, and then the company is successful, which, you know, we're all, we're all on the same team. We're all pulling the rope in the same direction, if you will. So that's kind of that flip, flip the pyramid and just think of yourself uh, as that servant leader instead of you work for me, flip it and say, no, I work for you. However I make you successful is going to make this, this organization better. Man, that's good. That's good. I think um, I spent 22 years in corporate America. There's uh, a lot of uh, people with leadership titles that uh, should should hear that message. <laughs> they because they, they thought they were the top of the pyramid. And I think what correctly what you say correctly, you know, what can I do to help you be successful because it makes everybody else successful. That's what the leader's role really is is to is to you know give people the tools they need to be successful. And then the rest of the organization, the rest of the things work themselves out. So I love that. So you, you say this and I love it. It's you said being a leader isn't about a title or a name tag or a rank on your chest. Uh, if not rank or title, like what, 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 what establishes you as, as the leader? So in the, in the military is great about this, right? Because you can walk into a room and you know, at a glance, yeah. yeah, who's in charge, who's the highest rank. Yep. But, you know, the second part of that is who's getting things done. And I think I talk about it in the book, uh, but I, I was on a mission to Latvia for a couple of weeks and Latvia was uh, very much modeled after the Russian military where they have officers and then they have you know, workers. And that's kind of it. Uh, since actually when I was there, they had a, they were starting to build their NCO core pretty heavily and I was standing with one of their platoon leaders and I've got, I've got people all over, right? My E7 is, is running the job and I'm just kind of facilitating where, where he'll let me kind of. And I, I looked at his platoon and I said, Hey, who's that guy? And there was a guy who was obviously in charge, right? But they're all workers. And he goes, Oh, that's corporal. So-and-so I said, that guy needs to be a Sergeant tomorrow because he's the one who's getting these things done. Even though you're the you're the leader, you're the platoon leader. Like that's the guy who's getting things done. So that kind of, you know, transfers over to, you can be, you know, whether it's a principal or a CEO or whatever. And like, are you working? And I, I put it in the book, like, are you working for that title on your desk? Like you will do this because I am this title or are you doing it because you're the leader and that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, a great example right now is our assistant principal is an incredibly hard worker and she's out, um, you know, cleaning out lockers and making sure kids get to different things and things that she could easily push off on somebody else because her title is above that in, you know, the way you would think about it. However, that, that's not her at all. Um, she's out there doing it. And it, you've seen it too in the military when, when a worker, a teacher, is seeing the leader doing those types of things. It makes you want to work harder. And it's like, hey, you know what? She is not above grabbing a bag and cleaning up that kid's locker. Yeah. So that's kind of what I what I meant by that. And it really I came it. that Latvian trip. Yeah, you know, you're right. And so I, yeah, it's not about the rank or title. Who's getting things done? Who, you know, you know, it's interesting because if there was no rank or there was no, you could you could observe a group of people and you can instantly know who the leader is. And who's commanding the room? Who, who, who are people looking to, to, to make decisions, you know? And um, <clears throat> unfortunately you, you, we've got too many 
corporate bosses who think that, you know, their title means that they're the leader. That might mean that they're the boss, but, you know, are they really leading? That's the question. Right. It's their title. It doesn't mean they're entitled. Right. Yeah. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Uh, one thing in the book, you, you got me when I was reading this one chapter, in, uh, and that is a sand table. That ended up being one of the lessons. What is a sand table, and why is this important in leadership? Interesting. The Navy guy doesn't know about a sand table. I don't know. We we didn't. There was sand at the bottom of the ocean, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is this comes straight out of Army training. Um, however, you can use it for anything, and I've used it for all kinds of different things. Um, but a sand table is just that. If you think of just a sandbox. And in the army, what we do is we are here and we need to go here and we would mark out everything in between, whether there's a hill, a valley, a road, whatnot. And then you physically move something. We would use the little GI Joe guys, right? We all love GI Joe guys at heart. So we would move our little guys. Here's my, here's my squad. We're going to move them up to the road and we're going to move up the next squad up to the road to pull security. And then they're crossing. Here's our patrol base and whatnot. And what it really does is it allows you to see issues that you would never see if you were just thinking through a problem. So when you're physically moving things, you can say, oh, and this can go for anything. Um, You know, if I have these chairs along this side of the conference room, when the boss walks in, he's going to have to move around that. And that's not that's not okay. We have to figure out where to move these chairs Um, and, and simple little things like like flow of a room. If you're in a meeting or uh, I just did a, a football banquet for our football team. And although not a true sand table, I drew it out on a piece of paper and kind of drew arrows of how everybody was going to move from their seats to where they were speaking and where people should sit and where the food was going to be. Uh, And it really just helps you conceptualize issues before they become issues. And then you can fix them before really before anybody even knows it was a problem. And that kind of leads into the next part. Um, I think I talked about it in the book too, is, is rehearsals. Right. So physically having people move where they're going to be uh, and a sand table is just a form of rehearsal. Yeah, I like it. that makes sense. I've, I've never used one, but uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, my but dad always teases me for, you know, being a ground pounder while he's out floating around in the ocean. So, yeah, right, right. Well, it's good. Now, now I know that army officers play in sand with um, plastic army toys. So yeah, I I didn't know that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, you say in the book, uh, a handshake is worth a thousand emails. What do you mean by that? Without a doubt. So again, this comes from the full-time army job I had. And there are certain things, and I think this pandemic has really brought it to light and probably amplified every part of it. But there are certain things you just can't communicate through an email or a phone call, or even a a message, a message like this, a zoom call or whatever. Um, And there's just certain things that you have to physically be on the ground and talk with somebody. Um, And it does a couple things. One, you know, people can be keyboard warriors and they can sound really, really tough on email, but when you're standing in front of them, it's a, it's a different dynamic for sure. And I know with, with us in this particular, where the idea came from is we were going to Fort Polk, Louisiana, for a domestic response mission. And Fort Polk, Louisiana is one of the best training areas in the world for training people to go to war. They're really, really good at that. Fantastic at that. 
but we didn't necessarily understand each other on how to train for domestic response because our mission was something happens in Indianapolis and we have to go respond, right? So we don't have weapons. We're not dealing with, uh, you know, local nationals. There's, there's not a language barrier. So there was a couple of times we had to go down and, and just be face to face and kind of hash some things out. Um, for one, I know in the army we use, it's called miles gear. It's a multi-integrated laser system. So it's laser tag for our rifles. And the people at Fort Polk said, well, everybody who goes into this, they call it the box, the training area has to have miles gear on their person and on their weapons and on their vehicles. And I said, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not even, we're not even bringing weapons. I mean, this is like, we're going to, you know, Denver and we just weren't, we weren't seeing eye to eye on how this was going to go until I was physically down there and kind of showed him our mission set and showed him our capabilities and what we were there to do. And I had to go in front of an 06 and kind of explain this. And he's like, yeah, that actually wouldn't make any sense at all for you guys to have that. So, you know, through the email system, we could have fought back and forth for months and it never would have got resolved, but by physically being there and talking with the right people and having my binder with, with this is our capabilities, this is what we're doing. Uh, that just, there's something to the face to face and, and standing next to somebody at their desk uh, that you just can't get through Zoom or an email or a phone call. And I actually wrote that a long time <laughs> the pandemic, um, but it yeah. just, the pandemic just really amplified. There's things that we can do like this podcast right now is fantastic. We'd never do this if it wasn't for Zoom. However, there's certain things you just can't, you just can't do yeah. that. You can't replace it. Yeah. Physi physically being there, you know, that, that handshake, that look in the eye, you can't, you can't replace that. Yeah, For that's sure. good. You, you say in the book, own it. What do you mean by own it? I love it. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, kind of another army thing, but I bring it to, to my teaching and my coaching specifically. I know there's a story in the book about coaching, uh, but it's it, when you make a mistake, own it. Right. And, and the example I use with my football players all the time is if you miss a block, right. And your, your running back gets tackled in the backfield. If you go back to the huddle, everybody's going to be mad at you until you say, Hey guys, that was, that was my bad. I got that one. I'll get you next time. You, it's hard to be mad at somebody when they, when they've already owned up to whatever the mistake is. And that goes not just to a football play, but that goes to, I know I've had experiences in the army where I had to pull my platoon leaders in and say, Hey, I made a terrible decision here. And I, I should have did what you wanted to do. And we're adjusting course and we're going to do it your way because that, that is a better way. And I messed it up. And when you own things like that, I think some people see it as a sign of weakness because like you were saying before, you're the leader, you're supposed to know everything, you know, you're supposed to know everything about everything, but that's absolutely not true. And Leaders are humans just like everybody else. And I think as long as mistakes are made in good faith and they're owned and they're fixed right away, um, I think it can actually be a, a, a sign of strength because that platoon leader or that football player, they know you messed up just like you know you messed up. And if you don't admit it, uh, that's going to cause some friction that you really don't need within your organization, whatever, the, whatever that organization is. I agree. I think it's weakness when you pass the blame or you try to make excuses. I think when you own it, um, you get a lot more respect from the people around you when they see, because like you said, 
everyone knows you screwed up, right? Without so, a doubt. Yep. <laughs> so, so when you start saying, well, you know, I, I couldn't see or I didn't know or I, I didn't get good advice or, you know, Jim, that's his fault. That's not good. That's weakness. And uh, people don't like that. So passing the blame or throwing someone under the bus when it's your mistake is, is not leadership. That, I don't know what that is, but it's, but it's not leadership. So owning it is a big part of being good, being a good leader. For sure. I, I agree hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, now, you know, now that the book is out, it's, it's been out for what, a couple of months now or how long? Since August. Yeah. Since August. Okay. Four or five months now. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so what are your hopes for this book? What are your hopes for the people that read it? What, you know, that they'll walk away with uh, what, what do you hope it'll change uh, people's thinking as it relates to leadership through this book? You know, one thing, and I, I try to make it clear in here is that everybody in some form or fashion is a leader. And sometimes you're just leading yourself, uh, you know, but if you're a parent, if you're in any kind of job anywhere, you're leading something at some point throughout your day. And my hope is that people can recognize that and, you know, maybe apply some of these lessons or come up with some of their own. Cause these are by far not, not the only 21 out there for sure. Um, and, and another part of that is when you're in a followership position, and I mentioned this in the book, taking those lessons like, oh, I'm not in charge, so I'm not going to pay attention. Well, that's you're in a perfect position to learn if you're, say, the second in command. And I, I think of my, my football job here because last year I was the head coach for the freshmen. So technically I'm the leader of the freshman team, but I also work on a staff and ultimately my boss is the varsity head coach, right? So that puts you in another kind of unique position where you're leading, but you're also having to follow a certain set of guidelines uh, and coaching, you know, the way we run our practices, it's nine through 12 altogether on the field. So I'm, I'm also leading seniors in drills and whatnot. So my hope for the book is that people understand no matter what you do, because I think leadership seems to be like, oh, well, they're the leader. I don't need to know that stuff. Well, that's not always going to be the case. So everybody's a leader at some point throughout their day. And my hope is that you can look through these lessons and realize that it's not some magical thing that only the leaders have, but it's everything that, that we do throughout our day. So that's kind of my, my hope, my, uh, you know, big vision of, of what I hope people get out of it. That's great. That's great. Well, the the book is uh, lesson one, leveraging leadership in everyday life. So how can people find out more about you and the book? So the easiest way is my website, which is johnvandusen.com. And on there, I have uh, a lot of different things. You can buy an autographed copy of the book if you want it personalized to somebody else as a gift. Uh, We can do all that. And uh, I also have things on there for teachers. Uh, I do a couple different, again, this pandemic thing. I have a blog. I have a podcast. I have a couple different Uh, YouTube things going on. And those are all available on my website. I also have a a section for coaches. Uh, Anybody who's any kind of sports coach, I have our football uh, Facebook and Instagram, and they have a blog, YouTube. We do a podcast for the football team. So kind of a one-stop shop would be johnvandusen.com. If somebody just wants to uh, follow me on Twitter, it's at Mr. Underscore JVD. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, If you don't want to dive right into the to the website right away. You can, you can follow me and connect on Twitter. 
Okay, great. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes uh, so you can, you can, uh, so everybody who's listening in can find John, find his website, find his social media links, and we'll put that in the show notes. Well, John, thank you for coming on the show and sharing all of your uh, this this book and all of the lessons that you uh, that you've learned throughout your career. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I really appreciate uh, one you reading the book in advance and giving me some feedback, and two having me on this podcast. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.